Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. There was a shift in church philosophy and church methodology in the 90s that began to put a crazy amount of pressure on the pastors and the leaders of ministry in churches. And we're experiencing some of the toxic fruit of that inordinate amount of pressure on ministry leaders. The shift was that pastors began to take on the responsibility, the impossible to sustain responsibility, of re-motivating and re-energizing and creating experiences every Sunday that you're just going to leave fired up. What happened is because of the shift in philosophy and methodology of, of ministry in the 90s is Sunday morning became a spiritual motivational seminar. And we're finally awakening to the damage that that has done to pastors. How many pastors have failed and fallen out of ministry because of immorality, um, because of depression, because of the weight, the heaviness that is on ministry leaders to provide some type of amazing, motivating atmosphere, whether it's through music or preaching or whatever, the pressure has cracked a lot of churches and destroyed a lot of churches. And it didn't take long for it to happen, relatively speaking. We don't chase highs. And one of the things that's important is gradually walking through Scripture, long portions of Scripture in a slow way that is nourishing, that feeds you. Consistency, that's the key to long-term ministry fruitfulness. This isn't like a place where you come and get an, ID, uh, an IV drip of adrenaline every Sunday morning. This is a steady feeding without the anxiety, without the pressure of feeling like you've just got to leave just super motivated for Jesus because most of life is ordinary. I don't know if you guys have figured that out yet or not, but most of life is ordinary stuff and the church has forgotten to preach, to teach about the ups and the downs, and the middle every day, I'm just trying to get through life stuff. And when you preach consistently through long swaths of Scripture, you cover all of it. So what does it look like to be a Christian in normal everyday life? And that's why we are convicted that instead of putting inordinate pressure on us to perform some type of motivational seminar and music and lights and everything every, every Sunday morning, the pressure is removed from us to Scripture. And we allow the Spirit of God who can handle that type of pressure and expectation, we allow Him to carry that weight. That's why we walk through long passages of Scripture week in, week out. So we're taking the rest of January to wrap up Ephesians, and I'm going to backtrack just a little bit today. It's like when you're watching a movie, 
and you stop halfway through and you finish it the next day, Kara always is, in, she always rewinds for us so that we can catch up to the context again. We forgot where we were at, so we have to rewind a couple minutes to catch up to where we were. We're going to do that since it's been so long since we've been in Ephesians. So I'm going to back up a little bit, and we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Again, I've already preached this before, but it'll be, I'll hit it from a couple different angles this time. In the next two weeks, we'll finish out Ephesians 6 in the books of, book of Ephesians. So um, why don't you turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, just listen. That's good, and that's fine too. Before we start, I want to invite you all just to bow your heads, close your eyes, and ask God to help you learn. Ask God to help you pay attention. This is another way we can depend on him. So just do that for a moment on your own, and then I will start reading. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. As human beings, we are vulnerable to a variety of different types of attacks on our bodies, physically. We're vulnerable to viruses. We're vulnerable to disease. We're vulnerable to other people com you know, committing acts of violence against us. We're vulnerable every time we get into a car. We're vulnerable every time we board an airplane. We are constantly, we're vulnerable right now. We're constantly vulnerable to danger physically as human beings. But there's something far more dangerous than our physical vulnerabilities. And that is the vulnerabilities of our souls. There are things that could happen to us that are far worse than sickness. There are things that could happen to us that are far worse than injury. There's things that could happen to us that are far worse than death. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 says it this way. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. There's something more you can do after someone's dead. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In that passage, Jesus is instructing us that our physical security is not nearly as important as our spiritual security. That's where the real war is waged. There are things out there 
warring against our souls. You can write this down. 1 Peter 2.11 talks about there's lusts of the flesh that are warring against our souls. Now, if you're, if you're following along and you have a, a bulletin on the back or the sermon notes, and um, you can follow along there, but a lot of these passages that I'm going to be referencing, they're in your bulletin. They're at the bottom of the page. So um, that, that'll make it a little bit easier to follow along. But this is, I, I believe, the first little bit of notes in your, your bulletin. It's Scripture warns us about three things warring against our souls. So if there's something far worse than the physical war that's going on against us, it's the spiritual war. It's the war for our souls. In what ways, what strategies, what things are actually warring against our souls? So we see in our notes, the first one is the corrupted flesh. And it gives an example passage that you can look up later in your own time. The corrupted flesh. So these are the desires inside of us that tempt us to do things outside of God's fatherly umbrella of protection. It's sinning against God. It's saying this desire has come about and I want to do it no matter what. I don't care what God says. And in, so, in saying that, you're saying, I'm smarter than God. I know better for me. I know what's, what's good for me better than God. I know what I'll enjoy better than God. And so it's obeying those desires and those compulsions of your fleshly body, your mind, your thoughts, your ideas. It's those temptations. That's one of the things that's warring against us. The second thing is the world system. So Satan is a great imitator. So he looks at this kingdom that God is building and creating, and he, he creates a counter kingdom to it. And it's part of the world system that's tempting us. It's marketing and advertising and, and bad counsel from friends. It's all these things that are luring us away from living for the Lord and tempting us to do things that are outside of God's fatherly provision and protection. The world system that is constantly barraging us with images and ideas, and it's subversive. It's subversive. It, it, we begin to believe that the world is right because we keep hearing the same message over and over. And then there's the devil, of course, booted out of heaven, running loose on earth, uh, wanting to destroy us, wanting to steal and kill and destroy. Peter says he's prowling around like a lion, looking for people to devour. And the stink of it is, those three things are working synergistically together to war against our souls. It's very calculated. So, the flesh, you have this idea, this desire, this temptation. And then the world system, you... This temptation is strengthened and affirmed and fed by whatever type of social media, whatever type of billboard that you're driving by, whatever type of marketing that is scheming to get you to do something or buy something, whatever type of advice that is saying, just do what feels good, you deserve it. And then you have Satan who takes this temptation that's fed by the world system and affirmed by the world system. Then you have Satan in there who's whispering personally to you, it's okay, just once, don't worry about it. And energizing and encouraging and intensifying 
whatever temptation it is you're feeling. That's one of the things that Satan does. You have a temptation, he intensifies it. And you begin to question if it wouldn't just be worth it just to give in to the temptation and start over. Now, the encouraging part is that every battle we win in resisting this opposition increases our confidence in God to help us win the next one. The good thing about temptations is that they help us become battle-tested. Temptations in and of themselves are not sin. So when you're, the, the sooner you're able to overcome it, the quicker you're able to overcome it as it appears, the more battle-tested you'll be. I'm reading a book by Sebastian Younger, who is a, an award-winning journalist who is embedded with a battle company in the Korangal Valley of Afghanistan when the Korangal Valley was the most dangerous place on earth for any American to be. Um, it saw more assaults and attacks than any other battle company in the war. It was a very, very rough group of soldiers. And they got away with things that no other battle company got away with because they were so hardened by the constant barrage of attack and assaults that they just did things different. Their mind fought differently. They functioned differently. They were battle-tested, scary individuals, dangerous individuals, and they, they needed to be. They had this tradition called Blood In, Blood Out. It's after, it's named, they named it after a movie. And that is anytime a new soldier or soldiers would come in, they would beat them to welcome them to that battle company. Physically beat them until they were bleeding. And then they would let them be and they'd become part of the family. That was kind of the way they showed affection and love. And then when they left that battle company, when they went on leave, they would beat them again. So there was no way to avoid beating. You're going to get beat twice. When you, when you arrived and when you left. That's how they did it. And they even did this with officers. Sebastian told a story of a, he saw it with his own eyes, an officer coming in and he gathered everybody and he said, I, I heard really good things about this company of men. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Thank you for all the stuff that you're doing. You know, you're really serving well. We're grateful. I don't have a lot to say to you. Um, let me just observe for a little while, and then I'll get back with you. In, in a few days, I'll talk about what I see that we can do to improve. Any questions? And one of the soldiers raised their hand and said, yes, have you ever heard of the movie Blood In, Blood Out? And before he knew what was happening, they had pounced on him and were beating him. He was an officer. No, nowhere in the military would that ever happen except for in the Korangal Valley with this battle company. But here's the thing about this battle company. Because they had resisted and survived the harshest environment in Afghanistan, a constant barrage of assaults and attacks, they were also arguably the strongest, toughest, most resilient, most capable battle company in the world at the time. Because every time they resisted, they got stronger. Every battle they won, they got more resist, uh, resilient. They were tougher because they resisted better and more consistently. The translation for us is every battle we win in the spiritual 
level increases our faith in Christ to strengthen us for the fight. Every time they won, they had more trust in their equipment and in one another. And every time we win, we have more trust in the spiritual armor that, gives us, that God gives us and in one another, thus making us stronger spiritually. So the first thing I want to say to, to you is that we are in a war together. We're in a war together. There's just no way around that. And, and Christians, we have, to be, we have to be careful to not give in to the, uh, the mentality that this is not a wartime mentality, to think that this is going to be easy and leisurely. We are in a fight. And if we don't have that wartime mentality, we're going to get run over. I think we can heed the words of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured. He's talking about Jesus here. Because he was in a battle too. He was assaulted just like, just like we are, except for much worse. And so it, it gives us an example of someone who endured all those assaults. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. In the same way we endure hostility from spiritual forces so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look at his example, so that you hang in there as well. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. If you want to see someone, if you need to see someone ahead of you, an example, a model of what it looks like to endure under all sorts of, all the arrows of hell coming at him, then look to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't yet endured to the point of shedding blood, so you're fine. He did that for us. He did the hardest work for us so that we can borrow his strength from him. So in our passage, we observe what it looks like to successfully navigate this personal war with the devil. And let's start with verse 10 and just walk through it gradually. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Again, not our might, but God's might. Our responsibility is to appropriate or to take his strength and apply it to ourselves. We are not more powerful than Satan. We're not more street smart than Satan. Apart from God's wisdom and strength, we can't win. You don't have the stuff in you to win apart from Christ's indwelling, strengthening, sustaining presence. So what does it look like to take on God's strength? I'm glad you asked that because that's going to be the topic specifically of the next two weeks. We're going to just touch on it today. But it begins with the next sentence, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why does one wear armor? When a soldier steps out onto the battlefield, the goal at the end of the day, personally for that soldier, is to still be standing. To survive the enemy's attacks. To do that, they wore armor. The armor is a protective buffer. It's a protective barrier. It's defensive by nature. So in Ephesians 6, as Paul describes the various pieces of armor that a Christian puts on for this battle for our souls, 
there is a defensive and protective aspect of every piece of armor that we'll examine. Some people used to teach this as, well, it's all defensive except for one, the sword of the spirit. That's the offensive one. Actually, there was defensive and protective aspects of the sword of the spirit as well, which we'll get into when we talk about it. But this is all defensive. You're not going in and trying to, you're not picking a fight with Satan with all this offense and, and weapons on your side. Your goal is to remain standing after all the assaults. Let's look at the word schemes. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, his methods, his tactics. And there's three things in your notes I want you to learn about the, the devil's schemes. One is they're predictable. That's your first fill in the blank. They are predictable. You know, he really doesn't do anything new. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to be innovative. I mean, the schemes that he's using are pretty effective. He's been refining these schemes for thousands of years. He's got pretty darn effective at it. He doesn't need to try anything new because what he's doing is, is working. Two, his schemes are powerful. His schemes are powerful. Just because they're predictable doesn't mean they're not powerful. I'm doing my annual purge from dairy because by the end of the year, I'm just so filled with dairy. I'm not really supposed to be eating a lot of dairy, and, but I like dairy. I like cheese. I like all that. So I purge from it every, every, every January. Get it out of my system so I can start over and not feel bad about it. There is something that you could do every year, very predictable, that would still be very powerful if you were trying to tempt me out of my dairy purge. You wouldn't have to get creative. You could do the same thing, and it would still have an effect on me. And that is fill a room with Kochi House pizza and chocolate chip cookie dough. And, and walk me into that room and say, Go, good luck with your, your dairy purge, whatever that is, that's good. And I would be so tempted. The power, the force of that temptation would probably be overwhelming. In my own strength, I couldn't do it. But if you did that every year for the next 30 years, it would still be powerful. Just because Satan's tactics are not innovative doesn't mean they're not effective. Three, <clears throat> they are designed to exploit our personal vulnerabilities. It's the idea that our sins know our names. The devil knows when to tempt you personally. He knows you. The devil knows how to tempt you. He knows where to tempt you. He knows when you're most vulnerable. He knows when you begin to isolate yourself from community. He knows exactly what to whisper in your ear, exactly what to put in front of you, 
Your sin knows your name. Now, one of the things that's helpful about this is that Satan often overplays his hand. So when it feels like there's, you have a temptation and there's just an avalanche of things coming at you that make you want to give in to that temptation, you can just be street smart and say to yourself, oh, he's overplaying his hand on this. So say I'm trying to battle against this temptation of impatience. <clears throat> and I wake up in the morning, my alarm doesn't go off. I don't use an alarm clock, but if I did, my alarm didn't go off in the morning. So I, I have a, a, an early appointment and I'm already late and rushing. I'm tempted to be impatient and frustrated, but I'm not. And then I, I go outside in my car and I see that my... My tire's low. I'm going to have to stop and get, it's almost flat. I have to stop and get some air now. Now, okay, the temptation is to be impatient, to be angry, to be frustrated is, is starting to mount. It's a really important appointment that I have first thing in the morning. I need to be spiritually ready for it, but I'm starting to get frustrated, but that's okay. I turn, I turn over the car and it doesn't, it doesn't start, which has happened. It's too cold and the battery's like died. Or I left the stupid lights on. Or the glove box opened and the light was on it and it, something happened and, the, and now the car's not starting. Now I'm getting really, really frustrated. I've got to, this, things are adding up. This is starting to feel like an avalanche and I'm getting impatient. I'm getting frustrated. I take care of all that stuff and I start going, I, I can get there on time. I've given myself enough leeway. I can get there on time to that, this appointment. I'm, I'm still good. And I get behind an army of school buses which bring me to the breaking point of sanctification every time I get behind. And they stop every 100 yards. You can't get around them. There's nothing you can do. And now I'm going to be late. Now I'm frustrated. Now I'm yelling. And then I realize, wait, he's overplayed his hand on this. I know where all this is coming from. It happens with all, all the variety of ways that each of us face temptation Look for Satan to overplay his hand. And, and somehow, just being able to recognize, oh, this is, this is Satan trying to take me out. This is Satan trying to discourage me. This is Satan trying to make me feel hopeless. This is Satan making me feel like nothing's going to ever change. This is Satan making me feel like everyone's going to let me down. This is Satan making me feel um, mad. This is Satan increasing the heat of this temptation. So I know where it's coming from, Father, so now I'm going to ask you to help me through this. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It feels a little bit ominous, doesn't it? It feels a little bit heavy. When Jesus was walking the earth, everywhere he went, he would surface these dark spirits. And they would say weird things to him, like it, when, when light itself walks among people, all the dark things that are influencing and sometimes controlling people are brought to the surface. 
It's not as apparent for us today, but when Jesus was here, the light of the world, it brought everything to the surface. It's like you turn on the light and all the cockroaches scatter. When Jesus walked among people, all the things came to the surface. And they said, the demons would say things like, what are you doing here? We know who you are. One demon said, have you come to torment us before the time? It's not time yet. What are you, what are you doing? We didn't think you'd show up. Demons knew who Jesus was before people knew. And they're no less active today. They're just less obvious. And the other thing I want you to notice, like most of Paul's writings, is this is addressed to a community, not an individual. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. One of Satan's goals is to fill your mind with reasons and excuses that are readily available to convince you that you don't actually need vulnerable, intimate, honest community. There's no reason for you to be vulnerable with others. You can just keep that hard stuff to yourself. Keep it, keep it to yourself. Again, 1 Peter 5, Satan is like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for people who are off on their own. One of his favorite schemes is one of a lion's favorite schemes, and that is to isolate you from the pack. You know, you can, you can go to church all your life and still be isolated. We have two measures that we've taken to try to avoid that and to create safe places where you can begin to practice what does it look like to be genuine and authentic with your spiritual brothers and sisters. We have hospitality nights where you get together once a month in a relaxed, natural, unpressured way. And the goal is over the months and over the years, you begin to know one another. You have a community of people who you feel safe engaging with. And it's, it's once a month, it's a very light and gentle rhythm, but it's a place for you to get to know others and to be known yourself. Another one is our discipleship pods. These are intentionally designed over time to build deep relationships in which spiritual care, spiritual words of encouragement can be given and received. With the grace of God, there's a free and open exchange of the grace of God through spiritual conversations. You're saying things and they're saying things. And somehow at the end of that conversation, every other week, every week, whatever it is for your discipleship pod, you're strengthened, you're encouraged. You're more battle ready because you have people that you're talking honestly with. You're learning how to have spiritual conversations. If you're interested in either one of those, you can email us at info at southsideworcester.com, which is on the bulletin, or you can talk with Pastor Al after service and he'll connect you with one of them. If we can commit to standing our ground together against these attacks, we'll have a far better chance of standing, of being able to make it together. But if we're isolated, if we're alone, there's no guarantees. The InterVarsity Press Bible Background Commentary says this, in the day of battle, Roman soldiers were to stand their ground, not retreat. 
as long as they stood together on a flat open field and did not break ranks, their legions were considered virtually invincible. So if you are, if you are not in one of our hospitality nights, if you're not in one of our discipleship pods, if you're not in a, a women's Bible study, if you're not receiving the men's email and going to be a part of the monthly men's prayer nights, I would encourage you to at least be open to it because you're vulnerable right now. You're vulnerable. You want to have a family of people around you that can walk with you. We're not meant to fight this on our own. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's the whole armor. We'll talk about the whole armor. You can't pick and choose which pieces of the armor that are comfortable to you. You can't pick and choose which pieces of the armor you want to wear. It's all of it. If you leave one part of yourself exposed, you're in danger. So in the next two weeks, as we're going through every aspect, every piece of this armor of God, there's going to be some that you feel more resistant to than others. And you've got to do it anyways. Because this is God's way of protection and provision. We need all of it. Here's the big takeaway today. There's three things. One, we're in a battle. So in a sense, we're in a wartime mentality. We're in a battle for our souls. There's no way around it. It's the metaphor, it's the analogy that, that God uses frequently in Scripture, um, both in narratives in the Old Testament and in just plain teaching in the New Testament. There is absolutely no way around it. You are in a battle for your soul. Two, the Lord has provided everything you need to win that battle, to stand, to withstand. And three, we must be constantly vigilant and fight. The world will lure you to sleep. Other things will become more important. Other things will become more attractive. You'll begin to believe that you can find joy and happiness outside of the kingdom. And the moment you begin to believe that, you're vulnerable. John Chrysostom, who lived in the 300s, said this, when facing the evil one, you must never lay down your arms. You must never take any sleep if you want to remain forever unhurt. You must do one of two things. Either take off your armor and so fall and perish, or stand always armed and watchful. As Justin and Kara come up here, there's a very simple application that I want to lead us in. And uh, you, can, you can stand with me now as well. And why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. And the application is I want to invite you to start praying regularly the Lord's Prayer. It's the first words that come out of my mouth every morning is the Lord's Prayer prayer. And so I'm going to pray that for us, and we will be praying it together in the future as well, but right now I want to pray that for us, and I want you to follow along in your own heart.
Because if you pray the Lord's Prayer, one of the provisions that he provides is protection against evil. Deliverance from evil. He leads us not into temptation, which means that we are, it's easier to perceive what is luring us away, what's tempting us away from fellowship and communion with God. So I'm going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Would you close your eyes? And in your own, in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, not ours. Your will be done not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, everything we need today, all the sustenance our bodies, our minds, our hearts require. Give us those things today, and we'll ask you for tomorrow's tomorrow. And forgive us our sins the debts that we owe other people, the ways that we've wronged other people, as we also have forgiven our debtors, people who owe us a debt, people who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation. Help us to be clear-eyed against the way that our flesh and the world and Satan is trying to lure us off the path into the darkness, but deliver us from evil and from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.